Hello everyone, and welcome to the Actis Podcast, a bi-weekly program dedicated to bringing you closer to the difference makers in CDI and sharing the latest news relevant to the CDI profession and Actis. My name is Rebecca Hendren, I'm the Director of Programming for Actis, and I'm your host for today's program, which is part of our Talking CDI series. In every episode of this series, I'm joined by a special guest, such as a member of the Actors Advisory Board, or one of our expert bootcamp instructors, or an expert on a particular area to discuss a topic pertinent to today's CDI profession. And today, I'm joined by the inimitable Laurie Prescott, RN, MSN, CCDS, CCDSO, CDIP, CRC. Laurie is our Interim Director of Actors. She's also HCPRO's CDI Education Director. In her role, Laurie is responsible for overseeing Actus's thought leadership, strategic direction, and providing an authoritative voice in the industry. She also creates and teaches Actus's education, including a wide range of boot camps and e-learning. She also authors the Actus Pocket Guide, along with her co-author, Dr. James Manns. Before we begin, I wanted to remind you that the Actus podcast now offers 0.5 Actus CEUs for the first two days after airing, which you can use toward your CCDS or CCDSO requirements. You will hear those instructions at the end of the show, so stay tuned for that. Before we get started with our chat with Laurie, it is time for a brief interlude from today's sponsor. The 2024 Actus Outpatient Pocket Guide is your essential resource for outpatient coding guidance, HCC updates, compliant query best practices and standards, E&M requirements, and diagnostic definitions. This new edition covers the transition from CMS HCC version 24 to version 28. In version 28, certain conditions now require additional specificity, including heart failure and neoplasms. And the Actus Outpatient Pocket Guide has expanded these sections to provide CDI specialists with this key information. Additionally, the 2024 edition has also been reorganized to include conditions that do not impact CMS HCCs, but are commonly seen in the outpatient setting and impact other risk adjustment methodologies. Organized by disease group, each condition begins with an easy-to-reference table describing the impact of the condition within different risk adjustment methodologies, including the Alex-Hauser Comorbidity Index, HHS-HCCs, and the Healthcare Effectiveness Data and Information Set, also known as HEDIS. Pre-order your copy today. Thank you for joining me, Laurie. I invited you on today's podcast for two reasons. And firstly, because I always enjoy any opportunity I get to chat with you and talk about what you think about CDI. And secondly, because we recently published the 2024 edition of the Actors Pocket Guide, which Yay. I know you spent hours and hours and hours and hours and hours upon. So I wanted to talk with you about the changes and additions you have seen for this year, because doing so tells us so much about what is going on in CDI and what our audience is most focused on. Yeah, well, you know, um, I'm I'm always excited. It's like giving birth to a new child when the new pocket guide <laughs> comes out. Um, and um, I'm as we were talking a little earlier, I'm eager to actually hold it in my hands. I've yet to hold it in my hands, but it, it's um, each year going through and just making sure that we're applying the the latest and greatest of coding direction, whether it's coding clinics or changes in the guidelines, and seeing how conditions that we choose are starting to change 
and what what we're adding um, to the resources within the book based upon what our users are telling us they need to do their daily work. So it's exciting um, for me each year to see how it, it evolves, yet stays mm-hmm. the same, if that makes sense. Yeah. Because that tells me um, how CDI practice is evolving. Um, and, you know, our focus and, you know, I tell people, CDI now compared to what it was 10 years ago is light years different. And I'm looking forward to see what it's going to be 10 years from now. My my prediction is the CDI specialists, especially the managers and directors of today, are going to be the managers and directors of revenue cycle management 10 years from now um, because we overlap with so many other departments within the hospital that that contribute to revenue cycle, whether we're talking quality, you are coding. So um, I guess what I'm trying to say is CDI is just going to take over the world, which is pretty yeah. exciting to watch. <laughs> and I absolutely love to see that. Yeah, I love to see the changes that happen. Um, and, and, and every year when we go to the conference, you know, more and more people are attending who are from other areas of but the revenue mm-hmm. cycle as well. So yeah, it's so fascinating. CDI is endlessly interesting. Um, and this, this, the Actors Pocket Guide really does reflect that. And each year, you know, the new provider tips are interesting, the updated coding clinics or the official guidelines, you know, the CDI critical thinking tips that change each year. It's always really, really fascinating. So I'm going to start with, because I know one of the updates this year is, you know, the perennial problem, chronic kidney disease. And um, could you talk about what was added about the CGA staging system and what it's, you know, what's important for CDI specialists to understand, particularly as we go into 2024? Well, we we added a bit with CKD. I'm just speaking to the CGA staging system, and this system just identifies the cause, the C of the chronic kidney disease. And it also takes into account the estimated glomerular filtration rate or the GFR and the presence of albuminuria. So the presence of albumin in the urine. So it's just a different way to scale CKD. We still have the same staging system of one, two, three A and three B and stage four CKD, stage five CKD, but it, it also, um, with this staging system, it elaborates on the, as I said, the causes of the disease. And I that help you understand: is this a systemic issue, or is this something localized to the kidney, which may open up new queries for um, other comorbidities that may not have been captured that are affecting kidney disease. And it's also helpful just to understand that system because your physicians um, likely are starting to use that in their documentation. So, you know, I always told people when you start to see new terms in in the medical record, you got to do your research. And a lot of times it's because there's been a recent article released by an organization or by a journal like, you know, JAMA that comes out with something. And so the physicians start throwing in those new terms. And sometimes those terms will match our coding definitions. Sometimes they won't. But if you just read it and you don't actually investigate what it is, then um, you're not really understanding what the physician is trying to communicate to you and understanding may open a door for a conversation with a physician to offer education. So we try um, with each year's updating to make sure that we're 
using those terms and pulling from medical literature to to make sure that you can equate what the physicians are saying to what what we need for for coding language. So I think that's one responsibility of CDIs is to really keep your your eyes on what's happening medically. Um, you know, I can't tell you how many times I would tap a physician on the shoulder and say, I've never heard of this term. Is there an article that you read that I have not yet? Or um, where is this coming from? And once, you know, once I could get that, I had to hunt it down to to find that information. That's an interesting approach, but but so important to continue learning about this. Right. That's a cool thing about CDI. We learn something new every day. I love that. I know another thing that has changed is about um full outline of unresponsiveness score and, and and how does that compare to the Glasgow Coma Scale? Well, this was an addition that Dr. Manns um, drew my attention to this year. The Glasgow Coma Scale is a scale that we've used, oh gosh, forever. I think I was using it with Florence Nightingale. <laughs> um, and basically it scores the patient's best response related to um, eye movements, verbal response, and motor response. And the um, lower the scale, it kind of equates to the deeper the coma or the deeper the level of, of unresponsiveness that a patient has. Um, but we introduced in this year's book also a new coma scoring system that's described as the full outline of unresponsiveness or four score, F-O-U-R. And this is uh, really useful in um, evaluating patients that are intubated. The components monitored are eye response, motor response, brainstem reflexes, which looks at your pupil responses, and respiration patterns. So it evaluates the patient's respiratory status from breathing normally to um, breaths uh, above respiratory rate and breaths at ventilator rate or apnea. So um, again, the higher score, the more responsive the patient is, and the lower the score, the more unresponsive the patient is. So, you know, you may see your physicians referring in their documentation to the four score versus using the traditional Glasgow Coma Scale. Um, especially, I think, younger physicians. So it's just giving you another piece of information when you're looking at the chart as to evaluating what's actually going on mentally uh, with your patient. That's really interesting. That was completely new to me. So thank you for talking about that a little bit. The next thing that I wanted to ask about is um, related to mechanical ventilation. And so what changes for CDI did you want to highlight for professionals this year? Well, you know, I think one thing that CDI professionals have to do when a patient is um, being ventilated is to discern, is the patient actually ventilated because they're in failure or is the patient being ventilated for another reason, which is a common conversation that we have related to post-operative respiratory failure, right? Um, So, what one thing that I teach people when I'm talking about respiratory failure and especially postoperative respiratory failure is, you know, physicians may say things like, um, you know, uh, intubated for airway management, or they may identify that the patient's in postoperative respiratory failure, but actually the patient is, the plan was for the patient to be 
sedated to the point where they need respiratory assist postoperatively. Um, that happens a lot with neurological surgeries, neurosurgeries, where we want the patient to rest, right? So we, mm -hmm. we medicate them to the point where they can't manage their own respiratory rate effectively. So we keep them intubated. Um, generally within two days, the patient is extubated, but sometimes it may take a little longer, but it doesn't necessarily mean the patient is in failure, it's considered inherent to the procedure that was performed. And it can be really difficult to look at that record and differentiate what is the purpose of the ventilation, right? Um, and we often have to go back and seek clarification from the physician or clinically validate um, if a physician states postoperative respiratory failure when the patient actually isn't. So we added um, to the book this year a, a bit of information about ventilation, what what the um, terms are that you would see to measure ventilation, um, how vent uh, settings are are read and used to manage ventilation. Because, you know, one teaching point that I have with CDIs is, you know, if the patient's on the vent and nobody seems to be adjusting the settings or looking, you know, the, the patient's oxy oxygenation seems to be stable, their O2 sat is stable, nobody's manipulating the vent settings and the pressures, likely the patient may not actually be in failure compared to a patient where the, the respiratory therapist or the pulmonologist is in there um, working to ad adjust pressures. So um, we added to the uh, entry on mechanical ventilation um, a summary of some of those definitions that you might see in the chart and what they mean to um, help you discern or pull clinical indicators to support a query for clinical validation related to that. So it, it's just, uh, again, just giving you some more information so you can understand what you're reading in the records. Now, those nurses that work in ICUs with ventilated patients are used to that. They're used to managing those settings. But for other people in the CDI world that may have not had that exposure, just a little extra information so that you can look at the chart with more of a discerning eye and understand when perhaps a question needs to be asked and when not. That's fascinating. My next item on the list is both neoplasms and leukemia. And can you talk about what's changed or different for CDI professionals to be aware of now? Well, you know, the the coding and the reporting of neoplasms is a confusing um, ugh quagmire for CDIs. <laughs> um, you know, part of it is that when, when you talk about cancer, that's a very broad subject, right? Mm -hmm. um, there's, there's organ cancers, there's blood cancers, there's um, lymphatic cancers, and they're all very slightly different. And what we've done in the past is kind of had one section where we've talked to all of that. And we started to break it out this year by adding a separate entry for leukemia. And one of the reasons why I added that separate, separate entry for leukemia is that when you're talking risk adjustment, so the listeners that are familiar with CMS HCCs and the change from version 24 to 28, the codes and their breakdown within the hierarchy um, of risk scores for cancer are very specific and leukemia, and, and I'm kind of talking off my head here, so don't hold me to the numbers, <laughs> but I think differentiations of acute versus chronic and different types of leukemia 
the specificity of leukemia can differentiate from being in, I think, three or four different levels of the hierarchy. So understanding the different types of leukemia, what you see in the record, what that means, and making sure you're getting to the proper code is really important to capture that acuity of the, the patient, and that especially related to the risk scores. So breaking down um, leukemia much more than we did in the past, I think, um, was really helpful. The other piece just in general with neoplasms and cancers is, um, you know, every time I read a coding clinic release, there's always at least two or three questions related to neoplasms because the coding is so confusing, whether we're talking about sequencing or different uh, wording and specificity of the conditions. So with those entries related to neoplasm and leukemia, we've tried to make sure that we're capturing all those appropriate coding clinics for people. And I always tell people with the pocket guide, you know, I can't give you the whole coding clinic. I give you one or two sentences that kind of summarize it. But the nice thing that we do is we give you the quarter, the year, and the page number. So if you're reading that two or three sentence summary and you want to dive deeper into that direction, which I hope you do, you know exactly where to go when you search for the coding clinics. The um, searching mechanism for coding clinics, like when you go in your encoder, is cumbersome. And there are times where I know there's a coding clinic that exists, but I, I couldn't tell you exactly when it was published. And I'll put in a general search word and it will take me a bit of time to find it, right? Mm -hmm. um, and our hope with the, with the pocket guide, and I've heard this from people over the years, they really value the fact that they can they know exactly where to look. They know the year, the quarter, and the page, um, and they can dive deeper into it. And I know um, for me, um, probably the hardest thing as a new CDI for me to wrap my brain around was the reporting of neoplasms. So I always look at that section and say, man, if I had had that way back when, when I started, it would have been so helpful. It would have prevented me from having to call the coders every five minutes to say, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with this chart. Um, so, um, you know, just the confusion of how all these conditions are differentiated, but also the confusion in the reporting guidelines, which at times seem to conflict each other, I think is really helpful. So this is a section, especially if you're new, that I think is really helpful to you. Well, that's so good to hear. And that's really what our mission is to be helpful. So I love you. Mm -hmm. I love it when you explain that. Okay, I have a couple more things to ask you about before we run out of time. Um, and the next one is about social determinants of health codes, which um, we actually had a, a full pod podcast devoted to this issue a few weeks ago, and we had Candace Blankenship talking about SDOH codes. So if you're interested in more information and you didn't listen to that podcast, definitely go on the Actors website on the podcast page and you can find that podcast that really dives deep into them. But Laurie, you know, what was new this year um, and you know, why is it important for these to be reported? Well, the big news was that <laughs> there are three homelessness codes now that actually provide yes. a CC and that's homelessness, unspecified, sheltered homelessness, and unsheltered homelessness. So, uh, you know, is that going to impact people's case mix index and DRG assignments? 
um, a lot? Probably not because these patients are probably coming with other comorbidities as well. Um, but what's nice about it is that those social determinants of health are finally being recognized, right? Um, you know, I, I, I can't tell you how many times people would ask me in years past, what about the patient that's homeless or what about the patient that can't afford their prescriptions? How is that used in risk adjustment? Well, we're starting to see risk adjustment methodologies speak to this. Um, the fact that homelessness was upgraded to a CC is another piece. And what we've been saying in um, our teaching at Actus for years now is start to pay attention to the social determinants of health because their impact is going to, it's it's just being forecasted that is going to be much more um, influential when it comes to things like risk adjustment and risk burden, measuring the risk burdens of patients. We all know that these patients demand more resources um, for the fact that they don't have resources of their own, things like readmission and mortality. Um, so whether we're talking about homelessness or uh, lack of food insecurity or inability to read, all of these things are important. And the, the final rule this year, that theme was woven in and out of all the 2000 plus pages, um, which tells you that, that they're going to demonstrate increased importance in the future. And I think what's really something that we can be proud of as CDIs is bringing, bringing this to light, making sure our organizations, the coding staff, the physicians understand how important it is to report these codes because that helps gather the data to support change. That helps gather the data to support how resources are going to be allocated within a facility or how resources are going to be allocated across the country to deal with some of the social issues that we're experiencing. So without that solid data that can tie how, for example, homelessness affects readmission rates or homelessness affects the management of heart failure or COPD or, you know, the incidence of cancer, whatever the issue is, that that data can be used in so many ways to help improve the situations where people, um, you know, have a lack of resources. So not only are we affecting the one encounter by capturing that information, but I think our efforts to capture that information on a global scale are going to help drive change. Um, so to me, it's very exciting that they're starting to recognize that. And we've always had um, social determinants of health, some mention of that within the pocket guide since I started writing it. But we're seeing that section expand out uh, year over year because we're seeing increased focus on it. So th that's exciting. That is exciting. It's a good thing to see. And finally, before we completely run out of time, um, and everybody is aware by now of version 28 for the CMS HCCs. And uh, you, a lot of our folks in the outpatient setting are, are very aware of this and focusing on it a lot already. Um, what about on the inpatient setting? What do CDI professionals who are not in the outpatient setting really need to be thinking about with the new HCCs? I think they need to be paying attention to it too. Um, you know, I tell people one of my most upsetting experiences is when I go to a facility to teach risk adjustment and I have a room full of outpatient CDIs and coders and I'll say, where's your inpatient staff? And they'll say, ah, they don't need to know about this. 
And I kind of grab my chest and say, yeah, they do. Can we get them in the room? Is that possible? Um, and the, the, the reason is the, the diagnoses that feed to a risk score are pulled from documentation of both the inpatient and outpatient documentation. So we should understand if you're focusing on uh, risk scores related to accountable care organizations or related to um, an, a Medicare Advantage plan or anything like that, you even if you're on the inpatient side, your work as a CDI to capture specificity, to capture all appropriate comorbidities is going to assist with those risk scores. So you should have a knowledge of the risk adjustment methodologies that are being used. Also, a big focus on the inpatient setting are mortality reviews, quality reviews. All of those efforts are risk adjusted. So understanding what are the types of diagnoses that drive increased risk that you want to make sure your physicians are capturing appropriately. We, we can't just say risk adjustment is a focus of outpatient CDI. It's a focus of everything we all do. Um, and, you know, sometimes we're working with the same physicians in the inpatient and the outpatient setting. So we want to make sure that the education that we're giving them or the advice we're giving them is going to help them no matter where they're documenting, right? So um, yeah, the inpatient, inpatient BDIs need to pay attention uh, to um, risk adjustment as well. Well, thank you. Thank you for those words of wisdom. I, I really appreciate you taking the time to go through this. You know, at the end of the year, we're certainly wanting to, to focus on and get ourselves prepared for what's going to be most important next year. So this has been hugely helpful. Thank you for taking the time to be with me this morning. And as always, if our audience has any questions about this topic, you can feel free to email the ACTIS team. You can reach us at info at actis.org. We will put that email address in today's show notes, which are available on the page for today's program at actis.org and in your podcast app. So you can grab it from there. Thanks so much, Laurie. Thank you, Rebecca. Hello, everyone. This is Carla Kozak of the ACTIS team. And I am thrilled to bring you a very special Actus update this week. As you know, the Actus update is a regular segment that features the latest news on what's going on inside the association. And right now, we have a lot going on with the Actus conference, which takes place in April on the 8th to the 11th in Indianapolis, Indiana. So I just wanted to take a few moments to fill you all in. First, Actus is currently accepting applications to present a poster at the 2024 ACTIS conference. Posters detail an innovative project or a successful education outreach, uh, a unique way you've overcome a challenge or an obstacle. It's a great way to share what's going on in your CDI department or with your CDI team with the larger ACTIS community. Topics in 2023 included query compliance, mortality, malnutrition, CDI efforts in the emergency department, PSIs and hacks, and pediatrics, just to name a few. Selected poster creators can also save $200 off Actus Conference registration, and they can earn four Actus CEUs. The application is super easy. We just ask that you submit a short bio, answer a couple of quick questions, and provide a brief description of your poster. If you've already created your poster, you can even upload a PDF of your poster in place of a description. The deadline to apply is December 31st, so there's just a few weeks left. 
You can find the link to the application in today's show notes. And in the spirit of the holidays, I do want to invite you to nominate a peer for an Actus Achievement Award. This year, we will be featuring five different awards. The CDI Professional of the Year, which is awarded to a CDI professional that's been in the profession for at least 10 years and has made major contributions not only to their team or their organization, but to the profession as a whole. We'll also be offering the Accomplishment in CDI Award, which is given to a CDI professional with at least two years in CDI that has made a noteworthy contribution to their team or to their organization or department. Another award that we offer is the Excellence in Provider Engagement Award, which recognizes someone who has made significant efforts to connect with the providers at their organization through outreach, education, or other ways. For the second year, we'll also be offering the Melissa Varnavis Spirit of Service Award, which is designed to recognize a CDI professional that's dedicated themselves to serving the profession. Last but certainly not least, we're pleased to offer the Diversity in CDI Award, which recognizes a CDI team or department that has made significant strides in creating a diverse and inclusive community. Recipients are recognized at a special ceremony at the ACTUS conference. The deadline to nominate is December 31st, so we do encourage you to get your nominations in. And speaking of the conference, if you will be joining us in Indianapolis for the ACTUS Symposium, Outpatient CDI, the ACTUS Physician Advisor Forum, or the ACTUS National Conference, I just want to encourage you to book your hotel room as soon as possible. This is because prior to the conference kickoff on Monday, April 8th, there will be a total solar eclipse happening in Indianapolis, and hotels are expected to sell out as a result of this. So as a reminder, you have three options to choose from within the room block. The JW Marriott Indianapolis, which will also host the conference sessions. The Courtyard Marriott Indianapolis downtown. And Spring Hill Suites by Marriott Indianapolis downtown. The hotels and the convention center, the latter of which will host the exhibit hall, are all connected via covered sky bridge. And as you arrive for the conference, just keep in mind that interested attendees are invited to come view the eclipse together on Monday afternoon. We will have eclipse viewing glasses presented by iodine on hand for your viewing pleasure, so be sure to make time to discover the eclipse with Actus. Additionally, we will be hosting a webinar in late January previewing some exciting bits from the conference and providing tips for exploring all that Indianapolis has to offer. So please keep an eye on the Actus website for more information. As always, you can find the link for more information in today's show notes. As a reminder, before we close out, each Actus podcast episode now offers 0.5 Actus CEUs, which can be used towards recertifying your CCDS or CCDSO credential for those who listen to the show in the first two days from the time of publication. That's the important part. You have to listen in the first two days. To receive your 0.5 CEUs, you'll want to go to the show page on actus.org by clicking on the Actus podcast link under the resources tab, and then clicking on today's episode from the list on that page. Then scroll down to the recording of today's episode and click play. At the end of the video, all the way at the end when the timer gets to zero, a link to the CEU evaluation will appear. You just need to click on that, take the brief survey, and your certificate will automatically be emailed to you upon submitting the brief evaluation. These instructions are also laid out on the show page, so you can follow along there too. 
The cutoff for today's episode CEU is Friday, December 8th at 11 p.m. Eastern. After that point, the CEU period will close and you will not be eligible for the 0.5 CEUs for this week's episode. So be sure to take advantage of this now. If you listen to all episodes and claim all the CEUs for the podcast episodes this year, you'll have earned 13 free CEUs for the year. And with that, we have reached the end of today's Actus podcast episode. We'll be back in two weeks on Wednesday, December 20th with a new episode in our Actus Happy Hour series, which gives you an inside look at what's going on behind the scenes at the association with some of our Actus team members. If you would like to receive reminders about each episode, make sure you're subscribed to our free weekly newsletter, CDI Strategies, which always includes a link to the new episode once it's available. Remember, you can listen to the show at any time on the Actus website or via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. All the links we discussed during today's episode will be available in the show notes. And as always, we'd really appreciate it if you'd take a minute to leave us a five-star review on your podcast app to help others find our show. Our intro and outro music is Media Noche by D.N. Keen, and our ad music is Take Me Higher by Jazar, both of which are obtained from the Free Music Archive. If you have any suggestions for future guests or topics, we encourage you to email us at info at We want to make this podcast interesting and valuable to you, so we appreciate any suggestions. And until next time, take care, everyone.